Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, everyone. This is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's podcast, we are talking about the moves your Detroit Pistons made at the trade deadline. Uh, ben and I talk about the ripple effects across the roster of the Reggie Bullock and Stanley Johnson trades. We evaluate new Pistons, Svi, Mikhailuk, and Thonmaker. And uh, we wonder aloud what these trades mean for the Pistons' pursuit of the 8th seed. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, please leave comments on this discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what y'all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which is something you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you? Doing pretty good. We survived trade season yet again without doing anything significant. So how are you, Les? I'm doing good. This is, in fact, the uh, close of trade deadline days uh, season edition of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. And the only thing that I did not want to happen did not happen. And so I'm pretty pleased. But first, let's get to the stuff that did happen. So the big, uh, the first big trade the Pistons made this uh, trade deadline was Reggie Bullock for Zvi Mikhailuk and the Los Angeles Lakers 2021 second round pick. Uh, ben, what do you, uh, you think of this trade? A little surprised, um, a little underwhelmed. Um, but ultimately not really upset. You know, I know there are a lot of fans who feel like this was a really poor return for Reggie Bullock. And I think if you're looking at it solely from the perspective of talent and production on the court, then yeah, I certainly understand where you're coming from. I think if you're also really focused on how good the Pistons are this season, then yeah, this could be super frustrating. Um, But the reality about Bullock's contract and the Pistons cap profile is that, you know, Bullock doesn't make a lot of money. Um, and the Pistons are over the cap, so they have to worry about salaries matching in any trade. And, and so essentially, you know, you take into consideration the fact that they obviously weren't going to re-sign him this summer if they were willing to move him for what is essentially, you know, two second rounders. Um, this is probably about what the market is going to give you for a guy like Reggie Bullock with all of that context sort of surrounding it. So. I mean, it's a little underwhelming. I mean, I've been a fan of Reggie Bullock. He really won me over 
Um, I think, you know, he's probably going to get paid this summer and that'll probably make it sting a little less. Uh, but, but I do think if the plan was to, you know, not re-sign him so that they're worried about the luxury tax this summer, then this wasn't an awful return. It was just pretty underwhelming. What do you think about it? I, I had almost forgotten about the initial frustration about the return in the wake of like everything else that's gone on throughout the trade deadline. But uh, the biggest thing was that Rodney Hood for the Portland Trailblazers was worth two second round picks and two players. Um, however, we soon found out that, uh, you know, those the two players that Cleveland got for Rodney Hood were not very valuable to them. I think they were traded uh, twice more today. And so it, if you view the uh, Rodney Hood deal as basically just for the second round picks, I think uh, the Reggie Bullock trade makes a little bit, uh, there's a little bit more value um, than it looked like. Uh, initially given uh, what we know about like the rest of the trade market. And so in that case, uh, the, the big return here is the Svi, the, the kid um, he's 21, despite playing four years at Kansas. Um, he is a very good theoretical player. Um, he, he's young. He has good size. He's uh six, seven and, and change in shoes. Uh, he has shorter arms than his height, though, which is a problem defensively. But uh, you're not worried really about what he's going to produce uh, defensively. You're more worried about his offense. Uh, he's a, a wing-sized guy who can shoot. He shot uh, close to 40% for those last three years in school. He's been tearing up the G League. Uh, he just hasn't been able to put it together in the, uh, in the NBA. I think he's shooting 32% from three on limited attempts so far for Los Angeles this year. Um, but he, all signs point to him being able to shoot better than he has so far in, in the NBA. And and when he does so, if, and when he does so, he, because of his size and because of the, the value of shooting in today's NBA will become a, a pretty valuable piece. Like much like Reggie Bullock was for the Detroit Pistons. Now the, the, if and when are doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. We don't know if Speed will ever get to the point that Reggie Bullock was at, but um, you know, you have him, he's cheaper than Reggie was. Uh, you have him under control for the next three years. Um, he can put, he can already put the ball on the floor and create a little bit better than Reggie could. Um, he uh, already is, he already kind of fits in with the rest of the, the, kids that the this that this front office has uh drafted he fits in nicely next to, to Kyrie and bruce in kind of a, a front a backcourt uh, of the future and so uh after after everything else we saw this week i'm getting more and more okay with the trade um but i i do i'm still kind of like hoping to get to the eighth seed and hoping to make this uh this tire fire of a season worth something. And so uh, losing Bullock and replacing him with a guy who probably won't be as good right away out of the gate was, uh, was frustrating at first. Um, but uh, I think that now this, this opens up some other holes uh, along the wing rotation that we're going to talk about later. And uh, I think that this does not necessarily preclude the Pistons from making the playoffs this season. Um, the only thing that's really stopping the Pistons from making the playoffs this season 
is uh, how well Miami and Charlotte play more than anything else, I think. All right. Uh, the second trade the Detroit Pistons made was Stanley Johnson for Thon Maker. Uh, this was part of a larger deal that ended up with uh, Nikola Miritich in Milwaukee, but we're not really worried about that. Um, and essentially for the Pistons, all that matters is that Stanley was swapped for Thon Maker. So, so Ben, what did you, uh, what did you think of uh, the Stanley for Thon swap? I think this makes a lot of sense. I, I think people know if they've been listening that I'm, I'm pretty much over the Stanley Johnson experience. Obviously he's still young enough that he could, he could figure things out. I mean, he's still four years away really from his prime. So he's got a lot of development that theoretically could happen, uh, but it seems super unlikely to me that that would happen in Detroit. So, you know, obviously the Pistons weren't going to bring him back this summer. Um, swapping him for any asset, I think would have been a win. Um, you know, Thon Maker, <laughs> I, I don't know that he's, you know, particularly great player, but uh, he's at least youngish and, and maybe can still, you know, turn himself into a rotation big, maybe. I mean, I'm not sure. Um, but I think it makes sense for both for both players because, you know, Maker was kind of in a similar situation where he had fallen out of the rotation uh, in Milwaukee. And, and look, I'm a big fan of Stanley Johnson, the person. I, I follow him on social media. I think he's a very positive person. He's a hard worker. He's obviously a quality defender. Uh, but his offense has just not progressed. And, you know, one of the things I looked up uh, after the trade occurred was shooting numbers between him and Josh Smith. And alarmingly, Stanley's shooting percentages are just so close to what Josh Smith did in Detroit. And Josh Smith was absolutely devastating to the offense. And I think it's been understated just how, how dramatically the amount of minutes and shots that Stanley Johnson played and took over the, the past few seasons. Uh, it, it's understated how damaging that was to the offense. So I, I think it was good to move on from him. Um, you know, what, what do we do after that? We can talk about the perimeter maybe a little bit more, but to me, that trade was a win. It, it's just a super small win. It, it's probably pretty inconsequential. Yeah. It was immediately clear that the Pistons and Stanley Johnson needed a divorce. And uh, it looked like, it had started to become be not necessarily reported, but uh, you could see the beat writers around the team saying in pieces like, "I don't know if they're going to offer him the qualifying offer." Like, I don't, I don't think he factors into the team's long term plans. And and at that point, it's time to receive another asset for him so that you don't lose him for anything. Um, and Thonmaker is is very much uh, not that much he's interesting but he's interesting physically but the in the ways in which he's interesting physically are 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 uh, masked by other ways in, in which he's not interesting so he's he's a seven foot tall guy um with skill but he his hands are small so he can't catch and he's not a great rebounder because uh because he's skinny um and he can't really shoot as well as you would think he could because his hands are also small and he can't grip the ball. However, uh, he's, his true shooting percentage is uh, six points higher than Stanley Johnson's, despite the fact that he's not a great shooter. And so we, again, to, just to show how uh, how devastating Stanley Johnson was to, to the offense, even a, uh, a below average true shooting percentage guy like Thonmaker will, will be 
an upgrade over Stanley offensively if he shoots at what he's been shooting and doesn't improve at all. Um, it's interesting that Thon is being reunited with uh, a coach that he had found some success with defensively in Sean Sweeney, the assistant coach under Dwayne Casey was, uh, was in Milwaukee when Thon, um, when they, when the year the Bucks made the playoffs and, and Thon uh, had an impact against Boston uh, in those playoff games. Um, Thon probably plays Stanley position of the four. He's so he's probably the backup four right now behind Blake. He's he just slots in where Stanley was. He's uh, he's a bit too skinny to play five, um, and uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see how he plays next to Zaza. Um, he doesn't move around the perimeter as well as Stanley does, but he is again like a better theoretical shooter. Um, the thing that struck me when I was reading reports from Milwaukee people about Thon was the they to a person they they mentioned the energy enthusiasm uh, he plays with um, every night and that's that's really cool that is something that I think the the bench could use on occasion we've seen that like when when Ish is not with the bench they lack uh, a lot of. Uh, enthusiasm and, and energy. And so I hope that he brings uh, that to this, this bench unit. Um, and uh, I, I, he requested a trade because he wanted more minutes. I, I, he will probably get them in Detroit and I'm curious to see uh, what he does with them. That's pretty much it. But if he's not that much better than Stanley, that's probably okay as well. Uh, it was just, it was just time for the Stanley Johnson experiment to end. What's uh, what's your favorite Stanley Johnson moment? <laughs> oh, fam- favorite Stanley Johnson moment, probably from this season when he airballed that three and Andre Drummond got called for an offensive goaltending trying to tip it back in. And they had to stop the game and go to the replay because he missed that shot by so much. And that's only my favorite moment because it just, to me, like captured how bad he was <laughs> for the Pistons. So it's an it's an ironic favorite moment, I guess. No, no, yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> I don't know. I was actually thinking of like an actual positive one. I was thinking of his uh, the defense that he played on Kawhi Leonard uh, down the stretch of the Toronto game, the game in which uh, they won on a last second basket. Uh, his defense will, I think, be missed. He, uh, when he was locked in and engaged, he was the best perimeter defender the the Pistons have. And they, they don't have him anymore. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But this team's issues were not defensively. Uh, this team's issues have always been offensively. And he was not a good offensive player. Sorry, Stanley. Uh, via Condias in New Orleans. Yeah, he gets traded again like within 24 hours, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All right, so the next bit of news... Uh, sort of news, not re- it's not official or anything. The the Pistons are uh, ostensibly aggressively after Wayne Ellington, the uh, six foot four shooting guard, uh, late of the Miami Heat. He was traded uh, yesterday to Phoenix and then released, and so he's a free agent right now. Um, because of the prior two trades the Pistons made, they actually have enough room under the luxury tax to sign uh, a guy like Wayne Ellington to the minimum. And uh, I think they have to cut somebody to make a roster spot. But uh, there are, you know, a lot of guys worth cutting on this roster, unfortunately. Um, He's a really good shooter. He uh, shot 38% from three on seven attempts a game, on about seven attempts a game uh, the last three years in Miami. 
Uh, he'd instantly, I think, be the best uh, shooter on the team. Um, he might start right away, honestly, given everything we know about the wing rotation uh, left in Detroit. Um, he's basically, the way I put it on, on Twitter is he's uh, what you hoped Langston Galloway would be. Uh, I don't know how current Langston would feel about that, but he's basically a better version of Langston Galloway. Uh, ben, what, what's, uh, what's your thoughts on the Pistons picking up Wayne Ellington? So I, I guess it just depends on is the goal this season still to make the playoffs or not? Um, I, it, for me, it's kind of a coin flip. I guess I can see this one either way. Um, I, I think winning is probably better than losing almost all of the time. And certainly adding a veteran small forward who can shoot the three helps, right? I mean, especially in the absence of Reggie Bullock. I mean, I think the loss of Reggie Bullock hurts the wing rotation pretty substantially. So, Obviously, adding a guy who can do many of the same things um, makes a lot of sense, especially if you're trying to win. There's also a part of me, though, that just kind of wants to let the young guys play a little bit. I mean, we've seen just glimpses of Kyrie Thomas. Um, we obviously have a new intriguing player on the roster in Svee. Um, You know, I don't know how Kennard's not a small forward, but he can probably play spot minutes there. You know, the, the amount of time he's missed this season, I I would be interested in him getting more time. Um, so part of me just wants to see those guys play, see how well they fit or don't with, you know, Blake, Glif- Blake Griffin slash Andre Drummond. And, you know, not worry so much about winning this year, but figure out which guys you have that are worth keeping around as you go into free agency, you know, this summer. Um so part of me wants to see him play the long game. Um, but at the same time, I, I think it probably also depends a little bit on what, what the contract is for Ellington. If you could get him on, you know, a two year deal, uh, he could certainly become a trade asset a year from now as well. Uh, if he's reasonably priced. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of 50, 50 on this one. I see it both ways. Um, and I can't see myself being upset either way that they go. No, I think that's, that's fair. It is strange that uh, the team would be after another guy who does not have the size to really like play small forward and whose uh, skill set is, uh, you know, allegedly shared with other people on the roster that they want to see, right? Like allegedly he's the same guy as Langston. Allegedly he's a very similar player to Luke. Allegedly he's a very similar player to Kyrie. And so like you could just, you know, not spend the money and and play those guys, or maybe if uh, it's like you, it looks like there's a kind of a hole at uh, a small forward, and and he can't really play small forward. It looks like uh, we got a lot of guards, but not a lot of forwards, and so it's maybe that money would be better suited to another uh, minimum worthy small forward who's out there on the buyout market, but um, I think it is because he's a more reliable shooter than uh than langston because uh i think he'd be a more reliable spot up guy than even luke luke is i think would be a more dynamic player with the ball in his hands than wayne ellington wayne ellington basically just flies off screens and and hits threes or spots up and hits threes that's really all he does which is like why i think of him as like just a better version of langston but uh but that guy uh would still have value for this team and if you could if he'd be willing to come here um, for very little 
and just play. Um, I think that is uh, perhaps worth stunting the, no, not, well, I would hope he would replace Langston, right? I would hope that the coaching staff just like, you know, accepts Langston as a sunk cost. They couldn't trade him this deadline. Um, just play this better version of him and continue to play the other guys like Kyrie, like Luke, who who do uh, other things in addition to shoot um, and then play this this better shooter instead of this war shooter that you acquire. But, uh, you know, this isn't, I, I understand it, but like this move is not making or breaking the Pistons playoff chances either way. Um, and so, you know, if, if they got outbid, I'd be fine with it. If they signed him, I'd also be fine with it. Um, I'm just uh, this. This does not move the needle in a way that uh, you know makes me like want to like stand up and cheer about it. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I mean, they're certainly thin on the perimeter, but that's they've been thin on the perimeter all year. And like, you just never know. Maybe you know, maybe giving Kyrie you know ten, fifteen games of you know a consistent ten to fifteen minutes. Um, you know, turns a corner for him, right? Like maybe he does shoot the ball really well, even if he struggles struggles elsewhere, and maybe that's enough, right, to get to get you into the eighth seed in a bad East. So, I mean, I can cert- if they don't get a guy like Ellington, I, I don't think it necessarily means you know the playoffs are off the table completely. I, I still think there's an outside shot that one of those young guys could step up and contribute. So we've been we've been talking around this. We should probably just get to it at this point. Uh, so the the wing players left on the Pistons after both trades are Luke, Glenn Robinson the third, Svi, Kyrie, Langston, and Bruce Brown. Um, what's your what's your ideal rotation on the wing uh, with those one two three four five six guys? So I think um, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of having Bruce Brown in the starting lineup. Period. So I. I would slide Luke into the starting lineup. Um, I don't think I'm going to win that battle, but that's what I'd do. Uh, and then I would I would give GR3 one more chance. Like I'd give him a 10-game stretch to see if he can figure something out the rest of the season. Um, and then if not, I, I think you have to go with one of the young guys. Probably Svi is natural at that point. Um but that's what I do, and I would, as you mentioned, probably minimize Langston's minutes as much as you can, and just view him as a sunk cost. Uh, let Bruce Brown play backup two. Let him run with the second unit a little bit, and then place V at the backup three, um, if and until and when he's ready. Um, and to me, that's that's the opportunity, or that's the rotation that probably gives you the most interesting long-term information right like if you want to bring any of those guys back or commit to them long term it gives you an extended look in real nba games right not just the d league not just the summer league to see how their bodies hold up to see you know how they look in the context of a real nba offense and and all that kind of stuff so that's probably how i well, what would you do with the the guys we have left so i'm torn because obviously the best thing to do for development purposes and you know probably even for winning purposes would be to start Luke but Luke throughout this season and throughout uh his Pistons career has looked tentative when he's in the starting lineup um and you know alongside Blake Griffin in particular and so 
I sort of want to keep him on the bench, but make it like explicitly clear to him that like, hey, like we can't rely on Thon Maker and like Ish Smith. And like if if we bring you off the bench, like you are the guy who the offense must flow from and and keep him in that role. I don't know. I I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't know if that's actually the intelligent thing to do, but it's it's the thing I keep coming back to. Um the Reggie Jackson, Bruce Brown, Luke Kennard, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond lineup this season has a not super great net rating. I don't remember what it was off the top of my head, but I do remember it was negative and it was more than like negative five uh, in uh, I think less than a hundred minute sample, but still like that, that makes sense to me that those five guys don't really play well together. And so what I would not be surprised by is something like a, a Reggie Langston Bruce Blake Trey starting lineup um, just because Langston uh, allegedly like plays the best defense out of all those guys. Uh, Dwayne appears to really love the energy that Bruce Brown brings to the starting lineup and his ability to take on defenders, you know, at his size or like even a little bit larger. Um, the ability to hide Reggie Jackson on, on defense is really important to the starting lineup and Bruce enables you to do that. And so, uh, that would that would put you in a wing rotation where like you're playing with like Ish, Luke, Svi, Thonmaker, and like Zaza, which is interesting. I, I because we haven't seen a lot of Svi and because we haven't seen any of Thon, um, I'm I, I don't know how that would go. But that like at the uh, at the least like that intrigues me to start. Um, that does leave out Glenn. Uh, you know, I you know I stand for Glenn. Glenn's my guy. Um, I don't know how much the coaching staff like trusts him anymore, honestly. And he is another guy that like like Luke needs to be told like, hey, when you're in the game, like, and you're open, just like shoot it. If we could just like clone <laughs> Langston's brain and like put it in Luke's body or put it and put it in Glenn's body, like they'd be better players because Langston does not care about shot selection. And so you know that's a little bit where where I'm at with that. Uh, the um, I will be very curious to see what the lineup looks like the first game uh, Friday in New York. Uh, Svi is already with the team. Uh, he practiced today, and so I there's no reason to expect he won't play uh, tomorrow against the Knicks. Um, Thon Maker, the trade was not like fully processed. It's not official uh, at the time of this recording. I hadn't seen anything that made it official at the time of this recording. And so there's a less likely chance that he plays tomorrow. And so, like, maybe you'll see some stuff with, like, Glenn Robinson the third will play uh, power forward tomorrow. Or maybe we'll see the uh, triumphant return of John Luer uh, tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, the wing rotation for the Pistons is going to be an, an open question, I think, for the next 10 games. Uh, luckily, I think the schedule eases up to a point where you can afford to experiment a little bit. All right, so that's all the stuff that did happen. Well, Wayne Ellington is kind of like a possibility. But... Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff that didn't happen this trade deadline that was actually pretty exciting to me. So things the Pistons did not do. Uh, they did not mortgage their future to acquire Mike Conley. Uh, they did not trade for a veteran wing with an expiring contract like uh, like Terrence Ross or Garrett Temple. Uh, they did not trade Andre Drummond, which was not like rumored, but uh, uh, Andre's name had been coming up in, in Pistons circles as someone like uh, w- uh, worth trading in the not too distant uh, future. And he was not traded this off season or this uh, trade deadline. 
and uh, they did not trade their 2019 first round pick or their 2019 second round pick for that matter. Uh, ben, uh, of those four things that did not happen, uh, which which one excites you the most? Not mortgaging the future for Mike Conley. I mean, Conley obviously would be the best point guard the Pistons have had since John C. Billups. I mean, there's just no question about that. But his injury history and his contract, oh my gosh, can you imagine him and Blake and Andre together for the next, you know, three seasons? I just, how in the world do you do anything else when you've got those three contracts on the books. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that didn't happen. And, and I would just say generally, I'm glad they didn't rush it. I know, I know there's a lot of fans who are upset that something big didn't happen. Um, but, but I don't think the position, the Pistons were dealing from a position of strength at the trade deadline. I, I think the smartest move was to wait and to be patient and try to do something this summer. So yeah, I mean, those two things in combination, right? They're, they're related to each other. I'm glad they didn't go all in and really put themselves in handcuffs for the next two or three seasons. Yeah, it, it sounds like they would still throw the proverbial uh, parade if they if they made the playoffs as the eight seed. But it, it also sounds like they're not willing to uh, do anything and everything it takes to get there, which I think is... Uh, a good organizational long-term goal uh, to that end. The thing that made me the happiest was that they did not trade the 2019 first round pick. Um, this year's draft is not a great draft. It's not, I don't, I'm not even totally certain it's, it's a good draft, but the, the type of player that you could get with this draft pick is almost completely unavailable to the Detroit Pistons by any other means than draft pick and so uh, this this pick offers them the opportunity to get someone that they would not otherwise be able to get and and so trading that trading away that valuable a piece for someone like mike conley for uh someone like terrence ross for uh someone like harrison barnes or something like that i don't know uh i think that was that was supremely valuable um it enables us to do like a little bit of uh of draft prep. I think we're going to have to start doing that in the not too distant future on the podcast. That'll be interesting to do, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really glad that they, they did not trade the 2019 pick. That was the the single most important thing that uh, they did not need to do uh, this season. And they, they somehow managed <laughs> to accomplish it. They worried me for a long time, but, uh, but they managed it. All right, Ben, uh, what's the, what's the plan yeah. for, the, for the rest of the year? It's like, are we are we still trying to make the playoffs? Are we content to uh, draft and you know in the top ten in this twenty nineteen draft and hope we can find a, a player in that area to make the team better? Or uh, are we are we still trying to make the playoffs? Or have you seen any indication on uh, on the internet or from anywhere that uh, what direction this team's headed? Well. You know, obviously our owner is pretty clear about not wanting to tank and not wanting to lose. And even if he were, like, that, we're 30 games too late for that, right? I mean, um, the reality is that Blake Griffin, um, his offense might be just good enough to get this team into the playoffs in the East. So I, I think you almost have to go that route, even if, even if you don't feel compelled that it's absolutely the best strategy. Um, I don't see much point into... I mean, they, they're going to have to lose a lot of games to catch anybody if they're trying to tank. Um, and the difference between 
you know, the 10th pick and the 12th pick is just not enough to, to lose on purpose in my opinion. So I think it's, it's an uphill battle to get to the playoffs. Um, you you said earlier and you're correct. And I think it has as much to do with other teams as it does with the Pistons. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you got to try, even though you didn't do anything necessarily to make yourself significantly more equipped uh, to get to the playoffs at the deadline. Yeah. The, the teams beneath the Pistons, um, Washington got worse at the trade deadline. They traded away Otto Porter, um, for Bobby Portis, who's pretty good, but like only can impact the game so much at power forward and Jabari Parker, who is, you know, okay. Not great. Um, Atlanta, they uh, they got slightly worse. Uh, they acquired like Shelvin Mack and some other stuff, but uh, they didn't trade away like any of their major pieces. Um, Cleveland is still really bad. New York, uh, you know, they did a, the big Porzingis trade, and Porzingis wasn't going to play this year. But like you know, you saw the game on uh, Wednesday. Like that's not or on Tuesday. That, like that's not a great team. Um, you know, Orlando. Orlando traded uh, for Markel Fultz a guy who like we're not sure is going to play this year. And so like they're in a similar spot. Um, you, I think the the plan is still to try and make the playoffs because it's going to be too difficult. Uh, it's like, we, we don't know if the Pistons can, can win enough games to make the playoffs. We definitely know they're not going to like lose enough games to make it into like the top four uh, to position themselves uh, to the best in the draft. And the other thing with this draft is that because of the uh, the distribution of talent like across the draft, uh, it might be better to have like the 12th or 13th pick just because uh, some of the guys who you don't trust or are, are trusted by other front offices and going to get taken in front of you it might limit your options to a point where uh, where you're you're uh, taking something a little bit more secure or you know this draft, appears to have a lot of guys who may be busts and it might be good to have those guys. Uh, well, so we won't call them busts. We'll call them uh, high risk, high potential guys. And so uh, if you get one of those high risk, high potential guys uh, taken in front of you, like that eliminates a, a potential uh, high risk uh, asset on, on the Detroit Pistons. And so like it's, uh, this draft being bad might be good for the Pistons uh, draft pick now that they've kept it, which is which feels weird to like say out loud and it's something I think I need to actually like write down and like work through. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that uh, that intrigues me and is good for the Pistons. Well, and if I think t- too, if you're drafting at the back end of the lottery, there's a lot less pressure to try to go get a guy who's a high impact player, right? Like you're, it's okay if you end up drafting a guy like Luke Kennard, who, you know, turns into a positive rotation piece, but isn't setting the world on fire. Right. And, and that might be okay for the Pistons in this next draft, if they can pull that off. Yeah. I, yes. That's actually a better way of saying what I was thinking. So thank you, Ben. <laughs> I, I put it together. I, I heard what you were saying. Yeah. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, that's pretty much everything on the trade deadline. Um, the Pistons, I think, are actually on a two-game winning streak, as, as weird as that as that feels. Oh, yeah, that's right, because they beat Denver by 20 points uh, the day after I predicted that they would lose to Denver by 20 points. That was a fun morning. Um, <laughs> we, will, uh, we will catch up with you guys, I think, still 
uh, at our regularly scheduled time uh, on Sundays this week. Uh, you, as always, you can follow Ben on Twitter at uh, Br Gulker. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, the uh, special trade deadline edition. Uh, and you know, thanks for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.